0: running now okay fine we are now on the air hello and welcome to bone ditch by ian bird i'm ian bird and this is bone ditch my patchwork novel in podcast peculiarities and profanities thank you for visiting and listening This time I'm sidestepping slightly to talk about two films I really enjoy, which I wrote about some time ago on my other website, www.mrcarapace.wordpress.com, and which I just stumbled over again. Ken Russell's 1971 masterpiece with Oliver Reed, The Devils, and Louis Bunuel's 1967 work of art, Belle de Jour, starring Catherine Deneuve. I think both films do an incredible job of describing a strange and rebellious, erotic and devastating heart, and they're both deeply affecting and amazing fun, and fun to talk about. There are wonderful lines in The Devils. I could not be Satan's boy. I haven't. the Humility is one of my favourites. Another is to disbelieve the devil would be sacrilege. Because we aren't five minutes into Ken Russell's fucking masterpiece before we realise that we are in Wicker Man territory and had better tread carefully. Strange, isolated communities where their ways are not our ways. Religious systems that are a little bit ambiguous in their respect for human life. And spiritual leaders whose potency inspires and enthralls and cuts more ways than one. Wish you were here indeed. And filmed a stone's throw from your childhood home, no more than a year or two from when you were born. Their faces all look familiar. Their shades of everyday beige are the same as your shades of everyday beige. You looked the same as them. Did you desire the same as them as well? The big difference is that Lord Summerisle's example deflects and impales the scrutiny of the outside authority, while Aubain Grandier sows the suspicion that ultimately crushes him and tears down his community's protection from the church and state. But both films, Wicker Man and The Devils, make the same point that licentiousness and rampancy and occult intimacy are beautiful, necessary and fierce symptoms of the human will to persevere, even and especially in bondage, and that the bleak grey alternative is the repressed obeisance to a bloodless god more content to rule from parliament than heaven regeneration carnality and exploration aren't self-serving and egocentric heresy they are the foundations of honest community speak to your travel agent and book your tickets today at first oban grandier appears with oliver reed's magnificent glowering sensuality as a monstrous aberration when challenged to a sword fight by the wronged father of his latest deserted conquest he chooses a crocodile over a rapier In the real world, he is an abomination. This priest's name would be leaked by Twitter and his story would inspire a dozen hand debates on radio shows and question time. But here he is quickly revealed to be a warrior philosopher monk, fashioning his sins into weapons to battle his own darker nature, raging at hypocrisy and lunacy and weeping in the light of genuine redeeming love. He is magnificent. No wonder the powers that be must crush him. By comparison, they are rigid, immobile, statues and statutes, unfeeling and vile. This conjecture is useless. We need a professional witchfinder. When Cardinal Richelieu is wheeled through his OC disease library, you know where they got the idea for Hannibal Lecter's Iron Maiden Gurney. This isn't a medieval horror film. This is strictly modern. A gay bashing in a public toilet, the leather jackboots stamping on the face of a child forever. Against these kinds of odds, of course Grandier must fall. He serves a martyr. Martyrdom has to be his calling. Samaral's example was Masquerade and Renewal. Grandier is his more dreadnought. So of course they take Grandier's legs, and of course they even take his hair, those way-faced, impotent, insipid bureaucrats and hysterics. But they can't take his voice, frightened, outraged, devastatingly honest, even as the tongues of flame lick higher and closer in their mocking infernal cunnilingus. Forgive me, priest! Grandier calls to us to live long the new flesh, to be rejuvenated by the young flesh, to disdain celibacy and to spare always two fingers for the devil at the door, no matter from where he dares dictate. I titled this little essay about Belle de Jour, Semen Retentum Est," a flush-away hypocrisy that appears halfway through the film, and from my metadata stats, it amazes me how often that phrase seems to be googled. But then that's Belle de jure for you, always drawing you in deeper. It's the story of a mysteriously carnal Japanese client brandishing a lacquered box that quivers with the sounds of the occult insect within. It's the story of an onistically grieving duke, desperate that his blind valet doesn't allow his cats into the chamber to disturb his religious zeal before climax. It's the story of a gold-toothed, black-leather psychopath who won't trust a whore who takes her stockings off in case she strangles him with them. Everyone says that Belle de Jour is the story of a frigid wife who experiments with prostitution in order to become more sexually liberated with her husband. Everyone also says that retained semen is poisonous. Maybe. I think Severine is only fantasising that she needs her double life in order to be intimate with her facile, flaccid husband. Instead, she is the vortex that confuses, fascinates, excites and devastates the world around her. She isn't a naive tourist in a dark and scary world. She's the common denominator. She's the majestic and tyrannical Alice romping through Wonderland and only pretending to be afraid of the cat's naked grin. She's mining this dream world in order to enrich her waking world. She's getting to work on her husband before letting him get to work on her. When Jane Eyre leaves Mr Rochester alone, just long enough for that obscure object of her desire to become crippled, just long enough for her to become phenomenally wealthy and utterly independent, we know that this is all her joke, her mistress plan at banality's expense. And when Severine allows her dream lover to follow her up out of her fantasy to cut the mediocrity out of her husband and allow her secret life to be unveiled and applauded with a couple of stiff drinks, we know that this has been an exceptionally fruitful therapy session for her, therapy for the husband not for her. She doesn't need it. No, I don't believe a word of it, but I will have what she's having.